Welcome, Sylvia. Thank you. Very nice of you to, uh, to uh, talk to us. I'm uh, looking forward to the chat. I'm not really sure what we're going to talk about, but no. uh, I'm looking forward. Great. We'll see, see where it takes us. Yeah. But we're sitting in this uh, beautiful home. So uh, you were telling me a little bit that uh, it has <laughs> been a big project. Yeah. Now, we, um, we bought this uh, place. Uh, we are in Fornebu in uh, Holtekilen in uh, a place that um, was owned by uh, the same guy who built it for mm -hmm. about 100 years and his grandchild. Yeah. And a little bit by accident, we ended up uh, buying this place, not knowing what it will um, expect from us in terms mm -hmm. of uh, refurbishment and restoration. Yeah. So for the last five years, we've been struggling. <laughs> Trying to, trying to, you know, uh, one of those projects you're very happy when you start them and you're much happier when you finish them. Mm, I see. Yeah, and it, as, as you mentioned, it's, uh, it's a house with a lot of history and it's protected. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, it's uh, built by a guy called Ole Övergård, mm. or Övergård, I, I mix his surname. But he's uh, one of the architects that worked a lot with uh, some of these super famous Norwegian uh, Arneberg, mm -hmm. um, among others. And he, um, he uh, didn't build any other houses. This is the only house he built, but mm -hmm. he built hospitals. And yeah. he built uh, Marienlist, where NRK mm -hmm. uh, works. Ah. So because it was his only house, mm -hmm. it was a very interesting uh, construction and he built it for himself and his wife and so it was a very uh, it's very thought through in the sense that it's beautiful lighting mm -hmm. and it's very much nature and you're kind yeah. of living almost in a in a cottage in the forest yeah, alone exactly, yeah. even though you're yeah, in Oslo. Yeah, I, I got, we got that feeling when we, yeah. when we entered. But tell me uh, for people who don't know who Sylvia Service is, uh, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. So I am um, 51 and uh, from originally uh, from Yugoslavia, so a country that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, my parents are Hungarian minority yeah. in that area. So um, we are one of the half a million uh, Hungarians that stayed in that area as uh, farmers, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, when uh, after the First World War, the, mm -hmm. the borders were remade uh, again. Mm -hmm. So I grew up um, in a very multicultural setting. Mm -hmm. um, very happy, actually, in a Tito communist uh, pioneer, yeah. Yugoslavia. And uh, moved to Norway as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Um, so you, well, yeah, you had the upbringing in, uh, on, the, on the Tito. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And no, so I was born in 1970 mm -hmm. and Tito <clears throat> died in 1980. Yeah. And so I also remember the time after him mm -hmm. where, you know, okay, so he was a bit of a, you know, a happy dictator maybe before um, mm -hmm. he died. But uh, after him, there was a complete vacuum in power. Mm -hmm. And uh, for eight years, nobody knew who was the boss. Yeah. And then some very power-seeking, but also a very um, negative personalities came up with Milosevic mm. and Tudjman and so on. And yeah. so I came to Norway in 88. Mm -hmm. I was 18 yeah. and Milosevic was just beginning to make trouble impossible. And yeah. it was too early to tell that, you mm -hmm. know, this is going to be really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was actually very unhappy that my parents were forcing me to yeah. follow them to Norway. I see. And uh, because you, as you, as you, as you uh, said, you were pretty happy there. You know, yeah. all my friends were there, yeah. and uh, in old uh, Tito's Yugoslavia, actually, women mm -hmm. and children had a very decent position mm -hmm. in society. I was going to a very good school, mm -hmm. just admitted to a really good university, mm -hmm. had a nice. Uh, rich social life. I was mm -hmm. doing swimming and I was, uh, it, uh, my town was a really, really gorgeous uh, social place, Novi mm -hmm. Sad, yeah. about an hour north from Belgrade, mm -hmm. along the Danube. Yeah. And half a million people there as well. 200,000 city, but you know, with the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so 
half the size of Oslo, okay. I'd say. But everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. And there are social spaces. There is an old fortress. There is a beach. There are pedestrianized streets and parks in the city. Mm -hmm. And you would only need to go out of your apartment and you would meet people. And you would meet people who know you. Mm -hmm. And you would meet people you could talk with. So we had this very, very strong sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. And I was desperately yeah. nostalgic for my hometown yeah. when I moved to Norway. Yeah. And so You missed it a lot then when you when you came came here. Yeah, you know, so had I known how life is going to turn out with the war in mm. on Balkans and the incredible not just financial and industrial destruction, but mm -hmm. moral destruction yeah. that it brought with it. Of course, I would have been much happier from the start. Mm -hmm. But at the start, I could only see all the friends I left behind mm. for a country that was nominally very beautiful, but I yeah. didn't know how to use. You know, no. I, I wasn't a very happy skier. Yeah. I hate winters. Yeah. I, I'm a very social person. So, you know, being an, yeah. a, a computer scientist at Blindern yeah. meant um, actually months and months of uh, not having anyone to talk to. Wow. Like, yeah. I thought I was becoming transparent. Yeah. You know, I didn't expect all the guys to turn their heads if I walked by, but, you know, mm -hmm. not one guy for wow. one year <laughs> looked me in the eye. Yeah, wow. And, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was very sad. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was an uh, important transition for you, mo moving, uh, moving here to Norway and Oslo. Yeah, and, you know... I think that in many ways, I think it was a defining transition. Mm -hmm. I had moved countries many times after that. Yeah. So actually, I came to Norway, I studied here, mm -hmm. then I went to England and mm -hmm. I did my PhD in Oxford. Yeah. I was a fellow at one of the old colleges in Oxford, Modeling College. Mm -hmm. And um, from there on, I went to Silicon Valley for a mm -hmm. while. I worked on computer development, yeah. then I went... To China, I did some research, and then I went to um, Saudi Arabia, yeah. where I was building the first female private university in the yeah. country. And by this stage, my boyfriend from my studies in mm -hmm. Norway yeah. came to Oxford, yeah. and we got married. Yeah. And so my Norwegian husband by now, Andreas, who you met, yeah. Um, he was actually quite ready to go on living abroad. He's yeah. a computer scientist as well, so he thought yeah. maybe we could go to Australia and, mm. you know, dive. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I started thinking about having kids. Yeah. And so I decided to come back to Norway. Yeah. Uh, because Those damn kids, they ruin all, all the big plans. Yeah, no, they make, they give <laughs> meaning to life, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't a very mummy type person, huh. but... Uh, it all changes mm. when you get kids. Yeah. And um, I uh, I was thinking, you know, I could stay in Oxford mm -hmm. and I could have a great academic career, yeah. but it's not well suited for families, no. you know. So you kind of have to hide your children, hide your husband in some mm -hmm. ways in order to be able to yeah. be socially efficient. Yeah. And Norway, after all of these countries that I mentioned, mm -hmm. came up as probably the best place in the world, yeah. next to Iceland, really, mm -hmm. uh, as a place where you can um, have a balanced work life, mm -hmm. you know, work that's interesting, not mm -hmm. necessarily at levels of Silicon Valley, but, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. interesting stuff you can be doing. Yeah. But <clears throat> next to it, you're able to have a personal life yeah. that allows you to um, see your kids, do some homeworks with them, mm -hmm have the evenings, have the weekends, yeah. have them in good public kindergartens, have mm. good health care that's publicly available to everybody. So I really couldn't think of anywhere else where I could have such a whole mm. life yeah. like in Norway, yeah. even with all the trade-offs you have mm. to make. And so yeah. we came back to Norway. And that returning to Norway was very interesting because my husband was not that keen to come back. Ah, I see. Well, yeah. I was pushing yeah. for Norway. Yeah. And so to answer your original question, which is yeah. whether, you know, moving to Norway was a big move, yeah. it was, but it was even more important because it made it possible for me to keep moving mm -hmm. and realize that every move is very difficult, but also extremely um, educational mm -hmm. or developmental. Yeah. And then every move... Uh, 
is a little bit easier than the mm. ones before. So, yeah. you know, and it after all of these other moves, mm -hmm. I really wanted back to Norway. Yeah. And it was, the first one was involuntary, forced mm -hmm. by my parents. <laughs> yeah, the second one was yeah. actually very much um, yeah. fought for by me. Yeah. And it makes my current life, which is very busy between kids and work and entrepreneurship and so on, yeah. much more bearable because mm -hmm. it is a very, very conscious choice. Yeah. And, um, um, and I think that um, moving to Norway is probably what, what uh, made my life in some ways mm. unique, yeah. you know, and, and I'm very grateful for it. And I wasn't grateful for it at the time when at it happened. Time, yeah. So was it a surprise for yourself when you decided that you wanted to move back to Norway? Did it take some time that you changed your mind? You had been in England and, and different places and Saudi Arabia. Did you then start to think, and Silicon Valley, did you start yeah. to think then, okay, to getting that life as you, as you talked yeah. about? Yeah, I think it was because it's, you know, what life do you see for yourself? And to mm -hmm. be perfectly honest, I always saw a life as an academic for yeah. myself. My, pa my father mm -hmm. is a professor in mathematics mm -hmm. and super good yeah. one at that. And so I always, uh, um, when it comes to professional stuff, I'm very much my father's daughter. And when mm -hmm. it comes to kind of uh, private stuff, I'm very much my mother's daughter. But when it comes to work, I always thought I will be like my dad. Mm -hmm. And um, Oxford was, you know, the place to go to. And then from Oxford, I could go really anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, that's how I went to Silicon Valley, because I went on research on Alta Vista, but related mm -hmm. to people that worked yeah. with my professor. I see. Alta Vista, I, st I, I remember. You remember? That's an age sign. So... Um, so but maturity side. Oh, it's a maturity uh, side. Exactly. You, you understand the digital age. No, mm. so I, you know, um, I always thought I was going to marry a professor as well, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's going to be my, my yeah. life. Yeah. And we are going to win a Turing Prize together <laughs> or some such. Exactly. Uh, and then um, as I was... Uh, working in academia, but also as I was working in these other countries, mm -hmm. I was looking at life, really. Yeah. And I really do believe, and maybe this has to do with my Tito childhood, you know, communism in Yugoslavia was cream communism, as we call mm -hmm. it. So you actually had a really great family life yeah. and everybody had a job and education. Mm -hmm. And so had we only, uh, you know, been a little bit better at planning, you know, our economy, Mm -hmm. I think that many things would have worked really well yeah. in that country. And my point is that I looked at life in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and I saw, you know, you don't have a private life. You have to do, like Sheryl Sandberg says, lean in. Leaning in means prioritize your work more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a healthy long-term life strategy. No. In Oxford, you know, there is this very elitist way of looking at the world, you know, and it is very much town and gown. And I loved my college friends and dinners and, you know, the best conversations of my life I've mm -hmm. had around these college tables or, yeah. you know, senior common rooms with the whiskey in hand and, you mm -hmm. know, you, because people know so much and people yeah. have thought so deeply about so many things and they have yeah. so many different backgrounds and, you know, you're mixed across subjects. Mm -hmm. So there'd be a psychologist yeah. or a theologist, yeah. theologian or a literature person or an economist mm -hmm. or an astrophysicist or, you know, and, and, and they'd all be eccentric and interesting, and I loved mm. it, you know. But there was no place for family life mm. in all of this. So, you know, and I looked at Yugoslavia, and yes, there was a place for family life, mm -hmm. and now there was no place for work, because there was no more work to be had. No. So, you know, there are very few places in the world, like Scandinavia, that have got it sorted. And then I was thinking, well, you know, then I'll learn to like the winters and maybe I'll learn to speak with the, the cold Scandinavians. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it is a trade-off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was becoming grown up, up in the sense that I realized that I will have to have my trade-offs. I can't live in Australia mm -hmm. um, uh, because as much as I would enjoy both having an academic career mm -hmm. at the University of Melbourne and being able to dive at the Great Barrier Reef or Brisbane even better, mm. right? Yeah. I have friends there and it was in the books. 
but I'd be too far away from my parents yeah. who are also in Norway. Yeah. And so, you know, coming back to Norway was a very calculated psychological mm. choice on yeah. my part. Yeah. And I think it was the right one. Yeah. And what, was it hard to convince your husband or was he on board quickly? No, um, I think that also, you know, our time in Oxford, mm -hmm. which is kind of the big, uh, big description for all of that Silicon Valley and China and, and so on. It allowed us to travel a lot. And, um, it was uh, very easy to jump on, you know, one of these last minute dot com mm -hmm. trips yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're close to Heathrow and mm -hmm. you have a calendar that allows you to travel when yeah. you want to travel. And so I feel that we both had a lot of experiences mm -hmm. before we came back to Norway. Yeah. So he felt a little bit comfortable that, OK, you know, and mm -hmm. and if we're going to have kids, I think he realized that we have to be in a place where both he and I could contribute. Mm. And um, and we both think that, you know, we still can travel mm. to all of these places after yeah. the kids yeah. um, have grown up. Exactly. But for this period of our lives, this yeah. is the place to be. Mm. I see. And tell me a little bit, uh, you had an early age very much interested in technology. So where did where did that start? So you see, I'm not interested in technology, actually. Okay. I'm... Uh, and you will hear this from many women. And I think it has to do with the way that we think about technology and we think it has to do with gadgets. Mm -hmm. You know, what camera is that? Or, yeah. you know, what kind of computer? Or, you yeah. know, or look at what it can do. I'm a mathematician mm -hmm. and I love um, structures. Yeah. And the way I studied computer science mm -hmm. was um, first forced by my parents. But yeah. second, I wanted to be actually a doctor or mm -hmm. a mathematician. Mm -hmm. But uh, they said you can't live from that, uh, so, you know, computer science. And I come from a country where you do what your parents recommend that you do. Mm. But in computer science, again, I went for theory. Yeah. So I know mm. about mm. complexity. Mm -hmm. Computer science is really about understanding how you can get calculations on extremely complex problem spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, weather, health, uh, demography, uh, flight of a rocket. So all of that are very, very, very complex calculations. And you now also have very, very big data mm -hmm. spaces. Yeah. And it's navigating that data space to find an answer. Mm -hmm. That's really the thing about computer science. And that, that's what I work with. Yeah. And what fascinates me is how do you understand a structure of a problem mm -hmm. for it to be solvable by a computer yeah. and artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. And so my fascination with technology now is more the fact that it's growing in its capabilities in a way that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So I worked with AI as a part of my PhD in mm -hmm. Oxford, algorithms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at that time, we are in 1990s now, 95, mm -hmm. 96, 99. Yeah. It was still a toy. And it was still a toy for nerds, you know, and everybody laughed at us because mm -hmm. they were saying, you're never going to get this to work in real life. Mm -hmm. And even we thought that they were right. <laughs> you know, we still thought it was a problem worth solving and mm -hmm. playing with, but we never thought that a car would be able to drive itself. No, not at this point, no. In those 20 years, or a little bit more, a little mm -hmm. bit less, depending on when you want to start the age of the deep learning and neural networks in AI, mm -hmm. everything has changed. And 15 years is an exceptionally short amount of time mm -hmm. for the whole world to change. But the world has changed in those 15 years mm -hmm. in a sense that now what computers can do surpasses already what humans can do by mm -hmm. far. And if you think about how they learn, if you think about a self-driving car, mm -hmm. for a human to learn to drive a car, it takes, what, 45 hours? Some people take 100 hours. I was a really slow learner <laughs> for driving yeah. a car. Okay. I'm, I'm not coordinated. Okay. So, I was trying to think about how many hours I needed, but yeah, probably, probably around that 40 hours, yeah. Right. But you know how many hours a uh, uh, Waymo uh, self-driving car by Google has before it hits the road. Oh. It has tens of thousands of hours of learning how to drive. Mm -hmm. 
and it learns not only from its own sensor data and programming and improvements in the algorithm, but from every other car with mm -hmm. the same algorithm on the network, which means thousands of other cars are teaching it to drive with all of the hours that they have. Mm -hmm. And so now we are in these discussions, you know, well, is that intelligence or not? Mm -hmm. And the, the discussions around technology and AI, which I think is the most powerful technology of mm -hmm. our time, are about, yeah, but you know, it's not as intelligent as the human. It doesn't have this general mm -hmm. AI, which is vaguely defined, same intelligence that you would have, you know. Yeah. Two problems with that. We don't know what that means. And you as a psychologist know that better than anyone else. We don't know enough about our cognition mm -hmm. and about even our uh, forces that drive that, mm -hmm. right? That are behind our intelligence mm -hmm. and our self and our will and all of that stuff. But the other thing is, it doesn't really matter because these narrow AI things that the computers know how to do, mm -hmm. they are becoming so incredibly good. So driving a car is a narrow AI. You know, it's AI applied to a very specific task, right? Mm -hmm. So it's driving a car or being a surgeon or, you know, being a, being a, a judge or writing articles about stocks or about football games, or analyzing stocks. All of these are narrow AI tasks that AI, by now, does better than a human. Mm -hmm. So we didn't expect this to be so good. But when you think about combinations of these AIs, you know, when you look at how China is doing surveillance of people, you know, they, they combine many AIs that have to do with camera and face recognition and body recognition, connect them with social data, you're getting a system that is intelligent mm -hmm. in a much more powerful way than human intelligence. And it's the combination of those narrow AIs that I have become fascinated by, mm -hmm. but not when I started working with technology. I really hated computers when I started studying mm. computer science. Yeah. It's what we can do with them yeah. that fascinates me. And what fascinates me more than anything else is our human responsibility to manage the beast. Mm -hmm. Because if we all say, wow, it's amazing, and you know, let it do its thing, because it does it better than the humans, mm -hmm. we are going into a blind future. We mm -hmm. are sleepwalking into future. Because the biggest democratic problem of our time, I believe, is the problem of the optimizing function, right? So AI works by looking for patterns. Mm -hmm. And the task of AI is very simple. Optimize the task that you've been given. And it looks for pets. So win the chess game, right? Mm -hmm. Or drive the car without bumping into anything. Mm -hmm. But what is the optimizing function, you know, that these more big AIs get? The ones that are going to be running our smart cities or the ones that are going to be managing your health or the ones that are going to be managing your insurance mm. you know all of these ai development companies google apple amazon etc say well you know we're looking for your happiness we are working for democracy we are optimizing sustainability mm -hmm. we are you know doing this to save the world but really the bottom optimizing function of all of these people who own these ais has to be commercial mm. they're owned by shareholders, and shareholders expect and demand, based on the share price they pay, return. Return. Mm. And you know, it's when the, there is not a good enough alignment between the users of AI, mm -hmm. you and me, and our society, and the owners of AI, mm -hmm. Google, Apple, Amazon, Alibaba, and Tencent, yeah. that you really get a problem. Mm. And it's that problem that fascinates me about the future. Mm. I and, I, and I don't think we have enough politicians who take mm. it seriously. To understand it. Because they don't understand it. And they don't think they can understand it because they think I need to take a master's degree in data science. I don't have time for that. Mm. So how do we educate the society enough mm. so they understand what the problem is? And I don't think they need a master's degree. They mm. just need to understand that AI is a very powerful tool. Yeah. We can't live without it, but we can't let it run our future. Mm. Exactly. And that's what I'm kind of really passionate about mm. at the moment, moment, if you ask me about technology. Mm, I see. 
Well, it's great to feel your passion for it. Uh, it's it's uh, very, very exciting. So, as I understood, it's the complexity which fascinates you, but also the moral responsibility of, of, of uh, using it in the right way, because it can solve a lot of problems. It can move us further. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, psychologists, we like digging. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, like how our motivations and future aspirations, they're maybe not always completely known to us. Right. Uh, do you think that your experience looking back into the Tito community and society, as you mentioned, uh, if it had more structure, it could have been much better. Do you do you think do you think it associates like like that you experienced? Okay, you experienced a, a community or society which which had many good things, but it was. It was not. Uh, it did not lead uh, in a, in a good direction. Do you think that experience? In also principle. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm not a social scientist, and yeah. I might be using the terms in completely the wrong way. Mm. So you know, when when people in America use communism as yeah. a very bad word, mm. I don't understand that because what we wanted to do in communism, it's not totalitarian state that I think of. You know, it's not corrupt politicians that I think of. I think of a society that it's that is basically socially responsible for everybody. Mm. You know, there is this very simple one-liner saying, you know, work according to your abilities, take according to your needs. Mm. And it's not that different from Christianity, you know, mm. and love your neighbor. Yeah. And so it's 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 a very kind of um, stoic mm-hmm. Uh, philosophy of life, you know, figure out what you can do and do it well. Mm. And that's a happy life. Mm. And try to contribute, you know, and don't uh, compete with others, compete with yourself and all Mm. of that. And that's, and you know, call me an idealist, but that's how I was thinking about communism as well, right? And I think that if the capitalists in today's capitalistic societies were a little bit less egoistic and selfish, and Ayn Randian, mm. we would have a better capitalist society as well. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the selfishness that is uh, that is uh, now driven by also extremely efficient markets that polarize. Mm. And you know, they're like six people owning more than the rest of the U.S. at mm. the moment. You know, it's not a sustainable society, mm. and so. I don't think that communism in itself was good. I think social democracy, the way that Scandinavian countries run it today, is the only way into the future. Mm. And I don't think I've been brainwashed. Mm. I think I've been travel washed, yeah. you know, and I've lived in all of these countries. Yeah. And I've lived in the US for long enough yeah. to see that when I drive with my very good friend who's very intelligent, very well educated, and we look at people who are on the street, you know, mm. and I kind of, you know, she sees my face and I feel sad for them. And she says, yeah, I know, you know, but, you know, there, there shouldn't be there. There should be, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, they have nowhere else to go. And she says, no, you know, this is a country where everybody has a chance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they are there, it's because they haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. Look at me. I tried hard enough and I succeeded. Mm. Well, you know, I don't think they all had the same starting point. No. And, you know, maybe your parents were more intelligent mm. than their parents or maybe... Yeah. You know, I think there is a lot of luck in where you start in life. Mm. And I think just this idea of giving everybody a good enough chance and then anti-polarizing the society. So anyway, I read this book called How Democracies Fail. And, and, you know, similar problem happening in many places in the world where Mm. totalitarian leaders are uh, becoming very popular. Mm. And so what happens very, very briefly is that... um, you know, economies go in cycles. And when there is a downward cycle, uh, if you don't manage it well, you start losing out on the middle class. Mm. There is a polarization in the society. And when you lose the middle class, you become a very unstable society. Because it's always people like us who believe that our children are going to have at least as good a life as we have, or maybe a little bit better, that invest. We invest in our kids, we invest in a society, we invest in community, right? If we know that, you know, our kids are fucked, sorry, mm. but, you know, there's no chance they're going to have, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to go and get education, and without that education, they can't really get the jobs. Mm. 
and I don't even know if there are jobs for them, then we become very aggressive. And we start listening to people who start blaming somebody else other mm. than, you know, us mm. for not being, not maybe contributing enough in hard times, etc. And so it's, it's, and that's when you get polarized politics. And it's us and them mentality. And anyway, so this polarization that mm. is happening now is extremely dangerous. And I think it's very, very important to have societies like the Scandinavian societies where mm. we try to keep the differences between people as small as possible. Mm. Because even though we were still the richest countries in the world, mm. I was just checking the other day, you know the three richest countries in the world per capita? Iceland, Norway and Switzerland. Close. <laughs> Iceland not, but Luxembourg. I have to call the prime minister. Call yes, the prime minister. Yeah. I think you were there until the yeah. last crisis. <laughs> exactly. uh, Iceland, I'm, uh, and I want to talk to you about Vikings. Hmm. Um, but um, but uh, so I think it was it was something about being able to focus on what you're good at, hmm. and then making sure that the society stays relatively stable, and you keep it by keeping the middle class active hmm. and happy. And you have to keep them active by letting them have a job, which yeah. means. You have to develop the jobs for the future and you have to help people believe that they can work in yeah. those jobs, which is why lifelong learning is the mm. most important thing we must be doing now, which is why I'm killing myself with a startup project yeah. called Learn, yeah. which is doing lifelong learning related to technology mm. and, and, and its effect on society. Okay, uh, I understand uh, very much now where your passion comes from. And, and one of this uh, moral responsibility of using deep learning and AI in the right way. And do you think then, then many of your thoughts about this moral responsibility is, is, um, is equity, that, you are, that you're doing very well, uh, equity and equality, that you're doing very well for society and for everyone? Is that, is that what you want the deep learning to do? No, I, I don't think that um, deep learning can help us with any societal problems, to be honest. Oh, I think that... Not health or... And let me, let me mm. qualify that yeah. answer. Uh, not that long ago, I heard uh, one of our ministers, digital minister, mm. say that, well, maybe AI should help us with politics. You know, mm. And that, I think that's the opposite of what AI should help us with. Mm. I think that AI is a tool... It's a tool we can't live without. So it will help us in health, mm -hmm. in finance, yeah. in security, in infrastructure, in industry, in all areas of our life are going to be changed by how we use AI as a tool. Mm -hmm. But I think it's we humans that have to be telling AI what to do. Yeah. So, you know, let's say health. Mm. I want the AI as a doctor to give me uh, all of your uh, past health data in a nicely navigable visual way. It should highlight the critical issues that it can identify through the patterns in your data. Mm -hmm. It should even connect to the watch or to, you, you know, a little thing in your tooth or mm. something, you know, chip under your skin that collects real-time data, mm -hmm. maybe even to your genome, which can then help us manage your health in a way that helps you avoid. But I don't want AI to be running your health. I want it to be a human doctor that can read the data from that AI and discuss yeah. it with you because ultimately your health is up to you. Mm. You know, and I don't think we should become nihilistic or uh, utopian or apathic and give up. You know, it's we who are doing the management, but we mm -hmm. can't live now without that, or we can't live without the mm. AI and uh, the analytics that it gives yeah. us, but it's stupid mm. because, you know, you have a watch one of these that manage your pulse or check your heart rate, mm -hmm. it can tell with 24 hours advance notice that your heart is starting on a pattern that in a 90% of cases leads to a heart um, failure, in mm. infarct. Yeah. You want to use that or not? You know, so now you have the dilemma, well, I want to use it, but I want to know who gets my data. Mm. Well, in Norway, I honestly don't care. 
because I believe, I choose mm. to believe that this is a stable society and there won't be a dictator that will suddenly make money on my health data mm. by owning the insurance companies, right? I believe in public health and so I'm, I think we're safe. In America, you need to worry mm. because, you know, maybe they'll be selling that data to your future employers and maybe they can check, you know, whether you're healthy enough for them to employ you or not. So, you know, data management, etc., very much needs to be controlled. And then we need to decide what's that AI going to do. But I don't think we can live without it. Mm -hmm. So, so my, my, my concern here is that we need to have a good discussion about how we apply it efficiently, but also that we stay in the driver's seat in this driverless society. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay, what about you, you um, had uh, an option in your, in your life and career to stay in the academia. Yeah, and and uh, it has its pros and cons. So, yeah. but you you chose to uh, not stay in the academia, but uh, you went more into um, into corporate and uh, do developing stuff. So why not stay just with a coffee and blender and and, and uh, uh, so you, you could you could do a lot of theories about the algorithms there. I could. I complex could. Complex systems, but, no, uh, but so the first and the most important answer is uh, that I think life is really really short, mm -hmm. and I think you have to fill it to the brim with things yeah. that you think are meaningful. Yeah. And I think I realized that I didn't enjoy drinking coffee and making new theorems enough. Yeah. You know, I could do it because. Was the coffee bad? No, the coffee was actually great, and the <laughs> colleagues were amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But in order to be really good in academia, yeah. you have to be super specialized. Mm. And I'm a very, very curious person by nature. Yeah. And I love to learn new things. Yeah. And so the, for the kind of research I wanted to do, which mm -hmm. was this kind of, you know, about big history, what I, I'd like to do big science, mm -hmm. you know, across everything. Yeah. and look for patterns and structures. I didn't know where to go with that, you know. Mm -hmm. And what I could publish were more and more theorems and yeah. more and more papers yeah. about algorithm op optimization in functional and logic programming, mm -hmm. you know, which, is, which was really cool stuff. It was beautiful maths. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I wanted to do broader. Yeah. And there, is no, there was no space in academia for that. The other mm -hmm. honest question, our answer is that I think I'm smart, but I don't think I'm a genius. Mm -hmm. And I was really surrounded by a few geniuses. Mm -hmm. My father is one, yeah. and my professors were, and I had a couple of colleagues that were definitely geniuses. Mm -hmm. And you know, for them, I see that academia is the place. Mm -hmm. You have to be allowed to run as fast as you can wherever you want to go, mm -hmm. you know? For others that are not geniuses, I honestly think that academia is more administrative than mm. other pleasure and I don't have much, you know, I didn't think that I'd be, a, I, I, I would be a good administrator, I think, mm. of a department. I don't think I'd be a happy administrator no, of a department. But you like, to, you like to chase impact. I've heard you... Uh, you I chase you, impact. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing. So when I left academia... We're connected to this... To this, uh, to this question? No, I, I think, isn't it connected to that you, you think as well that you have a more responsibility to, to use advanced complex system in a better way that you want to be a part of that and yeah but it's not like a very you know um, verbalized yeah. uh, responsibility yeah. i just think that's something i'd like to work with yeah, you, you feel know it. i feel yeah. it yeah. and um i i discovered the stoics you mm. know and uh, uh, their philosophy of uh, life mm. only a, a year ago okay. i think and it's like, you know, that maxim of, you know, decide what you can change today, giving the wisdom to, you know, let me know what I can change today and what I have to accept and uh, what, I, what I can't change and live with it mm -hmm. and so on. And give me the wisdom to know the difference. And, yeah. and, and I was, that, 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 that's, that's my philosophy, just mm -hmm. written by old Greek people and Roman people who, who can write much better than I do. So it's not that conscious a choice. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. how I have been brought up, I think, mm -hmm. by my parents really to believe about life. And, yeah. you know, you have a brain, use it. You have mm -hmm. legs, use them. Do what you can do and what yeah. you should be doing. And that's what gives you happiness and meaning, mm -hmm. I believe. But back to another point, um, when, I, um, when I was leaving academia, mm -hmm. I actually went to um, do an MBA 
in mm. a French school called INSEAD, and they are both in Fontainebleau in France and in Singapore. Mm -hmm. And so I went both places. And I had to do that in order to get a job in business in Norway. Nobody mm. would hire me with a PhD from Oxford no. because they didn't know what to do with me. No. And so, I, okay, I, I said... I understand that. <laughs> you understand them or you understand me? <laughs> no, I know. I, I, no, I but you know. Joking. I understand sometimes when, when people are applying for positions in business with, with PhD in, in, uh, in theory. So, but but yeah. so so I'd like to hear you what you think because my theory is that people in business mm -hmm. don't understand what we really learn from a PhD. Yeah. I didn't learn much. I learned much mm -hmm. theory and computer science in my PhD. But what I really learned is to be very stubborn and finish a very difficult task. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, be able to connect the dots, yeah. complexity. Um, you can think. I think if you are able to complete a PhD. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think we need to sell that idea much mm. better. You know, they don't need my research. They need my ability to learn. Yeah. And, but, but what I wanted to tell you is that when I went to, uh, I went to INSAD, it was an amazing mm. education, not deep at all, but very, very broad. Mm -hmm. And so from there, uh, you have um, 15 basic courses that everybody has to take, mm -hmm. but then you also have quite a lot of electives. I think 10 more electives and they are narrow courses that, you know, it could be entrepreneurship or it could be, uh, you know, uh, psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I did the first obligatory one in uh, corporate uh, psychology. You learn how to fire people and you learn how to hire people <laughs> and, and, and you don't understand how important that course is really. Yeah. You know, when you take it, and I was thinking like... Fire and fire, yeah. No, but yeah. it was also about, you know, yeah. Mars-Briggs, and, yeah. uh, and it was all blah, blah. You know, and everybody was thinking, you know, finance and strategy, and those are the important courses, but organizational mm. psychology, you know. Yeah. Soft, 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 science. soft, soft, uh, soft, soft. And, uh, and it took me 20 years to mm. realize that that's the most important thing I learned mm. in business school. Yeah. And I still don't know how to do it, but at yeah. least I can remember that we talked about it. Mm. Um, the difficult thing is not to figure out the strategy. The difficult thing is to get people to yeah. follow you on that strategy. Building right? a team and uh, making Building a team, uh, understanding uh, your own uh, mm -hmm. shortcomings and finding mm -hmm. people who complement you, mm -hmm. etc. But um, in the second, so in the first run of the course, um, we did Myers-Briggs and a couple of these uh, psychological. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe in them, by the way, because I, I, I believe... Um, I, I want to be perceived as an extrovert, mm -hmm. but actually I come out as an introvert. So yeah. I lie when I take these courses I see, okay. <laughs> to, to come out as a more extrovert than I really am. Yeah. So I thought, you know, when in the second run of the course, which was an elective and which I took because I actually got fascinated by this whole topic of leading others, mm -hmm. I realized it's really difficult. Uh, so they did another test, which is a motivations test. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of these where you have to answer a hundred questions mm -hmm. and there are always dilemmas between two drivers yeah. and, and they push you until you actually have answered enough for them to be able to prioritize the 10 drivers. And I forget what they are, but they were like, you know, how much money you make, mm -hmm. how much you will learn, how much power you will have, how much you will like your team, how much risk you will have or not have, etc. How rec much recognition will you have? Mm -hmm. And so, and that was maybe the most interesting thing from my whole MBA. Yeah. And so I just remember by this time, we knew each other very well. So mm -hmm. um, I'm sitting next to Lisa, a woman uh, from Taiwan, married to uh, one of these uh, oligarchs from Taiwan, mm -hmm. super rich. Um, and uh, another is um, Victor, uh, Victor uh, who's a Russian um, finance banker guy, black leather jackets, big muscles. Mm -hmm. Lisa sits there with, you know, her, I don't know how many carrot earrings, etc. And so we look at each other's answers and my answers come out, uh, you know, I'm really high. I knew that I wasn't driven by money, but I, I was pretty sure I was driven by recognition. You know, I like to be seen. I like to be thought of as clever, etc. But actually, the thing that came out highest on my list was impact. Mm -hmm. I like to have the power to change things. Mm -hmm. 
I was surprised. And so I was looking at my answer and then I was looking at Lisa's and then I was looking at Victor's. And so Lisa was looking at mine and she was saying, actually, Victor was speaking first and he was saying, you know, you know, guys, I think you're lying. Nobody goes to this school. It's a very expensive school. Nobody goes to this school unless they want to maximize their future revenue. We are all in it for the money, mm. you know. So you just don't like the way it sounds, so you're calling it something else. <laughs> and then Lisa is looking at my answers and she's saying, no, 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 I think you guys are actually not being honest. Mm. Because nobody goes to this school for any other long-term reason than to minimize the risk in our lives. So, you know, I think that's why we're all here. And so it made me realize, first of all, that mm -hmm. my drivers are something other than money, which was yeah. a really important thing to remember mm -hmm. later on yeah. in, in life yeah. when choosing helped, jobs. Uh, helped you as well take decision on moving, moving uh, back to Norway as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could have mm -hmm. stayed in Silicon Valley yeah. and, you know, been one of the first 20 employees in Google, mm. but it wouldn't make me a happy person. Yeah. Um, but... Um, uh, except that happened before in SAD, so it uh, <laughs> made, me, made me understand the decision yeah. that I made. But uh, uh, the fact that, you know, I crave power mm -hmm. more than recognition is also an interesting one. Uh, you could say, well, you should become a politician. I don't think I would be a good politician because I'm too direct, you know, and I don't know how to play the media game. But I like to be in boards I like to be in committees. Mm. I like to be the person behind the curtain yeah. that can think a strategy and help somebody execute, who likes to be a better leader, you know, mm. who likes to be the person in charge. Mm -hmm. And so, and it made me also realize that people have so different drivers mm -hmm. that we don't even believe the other person, our friend, who says that, well, I don't care about that. No. You know, we say, no, 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 you just don't know what you're saying. Mm. And so to you as a psychologist, you know, mm. I guess you see this... Um, often, but my, my point is that uh, people have different needs in their lives, mm -hmm. societies have different needs in their lives, and you can't expect an AI to help you optimize that thing in a way mm. that you can do it yourself if, you, if you're honest with yourself. Mm. So I don't even remember what the question was anymore, <laughs> but, but I think my, my point mm. perhaps re related to why, why I'm so keen on this AI management in the, of the future is that I think that it's almost religious, the question now that's being posed to us humans. You know, AI will be smarter than humans. Mm -hmm. Is that a good enough reason to let it run our lives and our societies? And I believe that if we let it do that, then we are delegating away the basically human responsibility, which is this moral responsibility for our mm. societies and our future and ourselves. That's it. Yeah, and then the tricky part is always to find out who defines the morality. And then there are many, exactly. many, many people uh, who have different meanings about that. And I certainly don't yeah. want somebody from Silicon Valley no. to be defining my morality or mm. my society's morality based on their no. shareholders' needs, mm. is my point. Yeah. Okay, uh, it was uh, you running a company and starting a company. Uh, you you felt it in in your own bones. That is challenging. It's challenging to be an entrepreneur. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's thrilling, exciting, but also very very challenging. Exactly. So so we both know that. So uh, what strategies do you use to to and, uh, have a good life? and work balance and managing stress and I see you have a if you nice, nice nice cat you have a view over over ocean what, what yeah. do you what do you what do you do in, in your life to to manage stress um, one part of the answer is that I think I don't manage stress I think I let it come out okay um, I don't let it come out on my kids. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I let it come out on my husband. Okay. And all too often I let it come out on the people I work with. Okay. So one thing I've learned is that so it I... It takes stress out of them. That's a good strategy. Not a good strategy. <laughs> Not a good strategy. 
Okay. But I don't know how so, to so avoid to, it. So you know, yeah. I, I need some mentoring. Yeah, I need some. I, uh, I need yeah. some. Uh, yeah. But not the kids. Don't take it out on the cat. Never on the kids and <laughs> never on the family, really. Yeah. Um, but husband and colleagues, they, they, they. Yeah, but <laughs> I think my husband knows me so well that yeah. he knows actually exactly when he can just do like that. Yeah. And uh, he knows I mean well, mm -hmm. and I think that's a very important premise here that uh, people around me. Mm -hmm. Um, if they accept me, they need to accept that I speak very directly and mm -hmm. I'm always late. Mm. If they can live with that, then we can have an amazingly productive collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Because I really have a lot to contribute with. Mm -hmm. If they absolutely can't live with that, if you know being direct is going to destroy our relationship, if I say, you know, this is simply not good enough and I think you haven't, you know, done a good enough job and if that's going to be something they can't forgive me, then we yeah. can't work together. And so maybe that's something I need to be very, very honest with people yeah. from the start. Yeah. And I need people who are strong enough mm -hmm. to be able to deal with that. Yeah. You know, who say, well, you know, I don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm listening. Okay, so how are we doing it your way? You yeah. know, or, but, you know, let, let, just show me there is a way. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, very action oriented yeah. and very little relationship oriented. And that's also something I, yeah. I need to kind of warn people about. Yeah. You know, I'm not working on building our relationship now I just want to solve this problem yeah, do the job the so communication been one part of the uh, stress management or a management technique for you to learn to communicate uh, in a good way to people controlling expectations are you are you I think more that's open important. about in the beginning like, hey listen I, I'm more direct some people might call me clumsy yeah do you, do you or, or too strict yeah. you know that's right yeah or too demanding mm. actually yeah. well the the reason i'm demanding is that i want whatever the project is you know to to, to deliver the best possible results mm -hmm. and i'm really keen on that and yeah. i think it's like let's not waste our time you know there is not much time to waste yeah so let's just get this done the right way mm -hmm. and um and that to me to be honest is more important than the mm -hmm. relationships with the people and this conflicts with this concept of what good leadership is because mm -hmm. good leadership is to a very large extent in Norway today about great relationships yeah. and the results come second and and, and and I really really struggle with that balance and I keep mm -hmm. kind of working with myself on that Understanding yeah. and then the other part of stress management is that I think that I have a little bit of Pippi Langströmpe in okay. me you know, she says, I've never done this before, so I'm sure it's okay. She's actually quite comfortable with being a bit ostracized, mm. being a bit weird, be, yeah. being a bit eccentric. Yeah. I've learned in Oxford that being eccentric is actually okay. Yeah. So you're good in your own skin if you are... I'm so yeah. comfortable and, yeah. you know, I'm, I've stopped being a perfect, you know, wife, mother, friend, leader, yeah. uh, scientist. And I don't kick myself anymore for the mm. mistakes that I've made. Yeah. I try Something to go to develop. bed. You know how people try to go to bed uh, and uh, be friends. Mm -hmm. Try to go to bed and think about, you know, two things to be happy for. Mm -hmm. I don't remember to do that. But, no. but okay. I try to go to bed and stop worrying mm -hmm. about things I haven't finished or something mm -hmm. that went wrong. Yeah. It's a little bit like um, the only thing I remember from Gone with the Wind yeah. is Scarlett O'Hara. Mm -hmm. at the end of the film. You remember what she says? I have to admit, I, I can't remember the film. I, I know... The I'm, only I, thing worth remembering uh, is, oh, well, there is another day tomorrow. You yeah. know, her life has just gone to pieces for the, mm -hmm. I don't know how many yeah. nth time. And, uh, you know, the man, she's really, really been fighting to get back and everything mm -hmm. gone, gone, gone. Yeah. All her money, all her everything gone. Yeah. And, you know, she sits there and she says, well, okay, there is a day tomorrow or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I, I don't remember the quote exactly yeah. either. So. But the point is, you know, there is a day tomorrow. Let's do what we can do today mm. and then we'll figure out the rest tomorrow. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to kill yourself, yeah. I think. So something with the uh, stoicism, which you talked about, like focusing and on what grit you can control, And grit and, you know, yeah. resilience. Mm. In a way, I think that this, this is why I'm so not happy with the lean-in thinking of Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. She's this woman in Silicon Valley who's, you know, talking about how women can have it all. Just They just need to want it hard enough. Yeah. Not honest, because not want, simply wanting it is not enough. Mm -hmm. And if you want it too much, you're going to just kill yourself yeah. and you won't have a life, you know. Yeah. So I think um, 
you have to want it. You have to be passionate about what mm -hmm. you do. And you have to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to respect that you're just a human being. Mm -hmm. And you have a physical body, and that body needs restitution. It yeah. gets depressed. It needs some time off. Mm. It, it has to have a whole social life around it with mm -hmm. family, with kids, yeah. with parents, with all the other things it entails. Otherwise, the body is not going to stay on with you for long enough mm. for you to yeah. you know, want the yeah. professional stuff long enough. And do you think, are, are you good in incorporating those strategies into your own life that you well, aware of these limitations? Of the body and take care of the social no. needs. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. no. So you know, in theory, I know yeah. it. Yeah. And my husband is laughing because my kids were asking here the other weekend, "Mummy, mm. you have to work this weekend too." Every weekend for the last I don't know how many weeks, I'm, I've been getting up at five o'clock in the morning mm. and working nonstop, really, yeah. until ten o'clock in the evening. Yeah. yeah. And every day, every week weekend every vacation day for the last two years since yeah. I've started this entrepreneurship mm. it has to do with the other things I do which yeah. are the boards and the talks yeah but but um, and then I said I know sorry I have to work this weekend as well and then they were saying like you know mommy when are you going to stop and my husband was laughing and saying you know she's going to sit here in uh, you know in, in in a chair in an old people's home next to me and she was saying oh I wish you know I was better at spending the weekends with the kids and so on and he's right, mm -hmm. you know. I just don't know. I can't drop this entrepreneurship project no. because if I drop it now, it's going to pieces. Mm -hmm. So my promise for the next year yeah. is that I'm going to land this, mm -hmm. set up the financing, yeah. rig it up with the right leadership so I can step back. Mm -hmm. My promise to my family really is that I, I, I really will try to spend the next year yeah. in a, you know, Working on getting the 60%, 70%. No, that has to happen before. Mm. So December. Yeah. <laughs> so next year, I really want to be able to have one. I believe that life is a little bit, you know, like mm -hmm. a sinoid curve. And that um, you need to respect the lows. Mm. And I'm, I would really, really like to create space for a low without, you know, people being worried about Sylvia. You know, she's lost it or, you know, mm. she's burnt out or... I think we need uh, sports people do restitution. I think business people should be doing restitution. You know, life is not like this. Life is like this. Mm. So uh, that's what I'm hoping for next year. Yeah. But if you ask me if I've been able to execute on that strategy yeah. so far, yeah. never. Yeah. Okay, but that's an honest answer, at least. So that uh, I see. Uh, what are what are the other things you think is important when when uh, when building a company with uh, with um, great mission? Oof, I'd like to write a book about what I've learned about being an entrepreneur because mm. you know I've invested in maybe thirty entrepreneurship yeah. projects uh, through my company Technorox. Learn is a lifelong learning company, mm. and it has employees and it's you know a proper company. Technorox is just me. Yeah. giving lectures and investing in tech companies, mm. about 30 yeah. such companies. And uh, I've been giving a lot of talks to angel investors mm. and, you know, to boards and, you know, yeah. how to invest, how to be a good board member, how to, how to run a small company, how to run a tech company, mm. how to run an exponential company. And it's so different once you've been doing it yourself, you know. So I knew how important it is to put the team together right. But I was trying to save money, and I didn't get any investors from the start. I was mm. thinking, I'll finance this through sales, which meant that I hired very junior people. Mm. They are brilliant. They are very, very keen, positive, but they are not experienced enough. And you need to have at least three really experienced people if you're going to survive commercially. Mm -hmm. One person facing the outside with the vision, the CEO, one person rigging the whole structure for scaling, that's the COO, and one person that actually builds the product really well, that's the CTO. It took me three years to figure that out, that mm. I can't do those three roles. <laughs> I needed people to do them. Mm. The other thing that I, I learned is that you actually have a really hard time finding money from financial investors. They all want to start with a, you know, uh, a spreadsheet and a calculator. Mm -hmm. And they all want these 
B2B SaaS solutions. They want a platform. They don't even know what it means. They just know that it means some sort of a subscription, annual or monthly subscription, and that's how it's going to grow and become the next Netflix, right? Or Spotify. But they don't want to do the investment that takes you there. And you have to build a platform and then you have to get the traffic on the platform before you can become a Spotify or a Netflix. And they don't understand that that financing is the best investment you can make if you can find people who can build a platform. And if you really wait, like all of them want to wait until people have built the platform and they have the traffic, like let's say Kahoot has the traffic now, mm. it's too late to come in as an early stage investor that will make 10 times or 20 times their investment back, mm. right? So I think our finance people don't know enough about how platform economy works. Um, and Even referring to investors in venture North, capital, uh, Northern seed. Europe or, or Scandinavia? Or? Well, maybe I should have gone to Sweden. I haven't. I just tried Norway. So okay. we ended up getting money from friends and family. Yeah. And uh, no fools. Not in this case, although I usually call them friends, family and fools. <laughs> okay. I've been a fool, you know, and I've been a fool. And I know the reason why we say fools, by the way, is that it's, it's really an honest description in a sense that you come in as a, at an early stage. Mm. Let's say a company is valued up to 20 million around. You know, that's a really early stage. And um, you give some money for them, you know, for the next big phase and it's always you know like this the problem is that this slides and then next year they come back and ask for more money and then next year they come and ask for more money and you have to keep putting money in otherwise you'll waste your mm. it's sunk cost right and the sunk cost fallacy keeps us coming back with more money and many of these companies never make the big takeoff right and at some point they run out of money and run out of investment goodwill and they fold mm. the reason why i don't think that's going to happen with Learn is that we actually are able to finance our day-to-day uh, uh, -day business mm. uh, with the projects that we sell. So we are a consultancy at the moment. So what we are asking for money-wise is this platform growth. Mm. You know, so we won't be asking for this money next year because we are doing this platform now mm. in addition to some investment from Innovation Norway. So I think that's really important to have a sustainable business at the bottom and then build a platform on top mm. and and that's why i don't think there'll be fools here but mm. uh, you know ask me in a year from now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's and do you if you will fail in your in your uh, endeavor and and uh, with this new company do you think you have the uh, techniques to tackle it yeah so um i'm really tired and uh, I had to go through that question with myself, actually, mm. now. Yeah. So, um, and I was thinking, what if we don't get this investment money now? Mm. Somebody I was counting yeah. on turned their back and, you know, mm. I was surprised and so on. And uh, the amount of work that I've been putting into this company, you know, it's just not sustainable with all the other stuff that I'm doing. So mm. unless we get this money and are able to scale through that, if I have to fold and, you know, we wrap it up and we say it was a great experience, mm. it was some nice content. We created 1,100 conversations like this, but about technology. Mm. It was worth it, yeah. you know, and uh, actually having been an entrepreneur and seeing how difficult it is has made me realize that there really is no shame in folding. Mm. As long as nobody has lost some money, yeah. big money on you. I think that's a decent, you know, argument to say that this is where we are and yeah. um, this, is how, it went. this yeah. is how it went and this is what we learned mm. and this is how we'll do it differently next time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, mm. who wants to be on the next one? But the next one, I would, you know, I don't want to be the CEO that does most of the work. What I, Because of all the other stuff I'm doing. I think my role would be to be the head angel investor mm. and the mentor. I can help with the brand. I can help with lots of things. But yeah. I would have the operational team in place mm. before starting this yeah. again the next time. Now it took me two years to gather them. Yeah, to, to, to it took too it. long. Yeah. To find the team. and yeah. Exactly. Mm. 
So it's been wonderful to talk to you, uh, Sylvia. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, I hope it was okay for you as well. It was much fun. Thank you. So if we take the last question, uh, which we often like asking people, if you could change something, uh, looking back on your life, you could change one thing, what, what would that be? Honestly, and I know this sounds cocky, but I wouldn't change a thing. No? I wouldn't change a thing. Oh. Still, I think it would still uh, head now. Oh, maybe I wouldn't buy the house. I saw your face when you talked about the uh, the old project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is, it's yeah. a wonderful place, and yeah. I'm really happy how yeah, it is but, now. But, but when I think about what it cost in terms yeah. of family happiness yeah. for five years, yeah. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I would have been happy in the little Grendehus in yeah. the. Lenossen, where yeah. you know we yeah. were wonderful neighbors, uh, kids running in and out all the time. Yeah. He was happy yeah. as well. I see. But uh, but I think I was very very lucky with mm. so many choices in my life. Yeah. You know, uh, coming to Norway, yeah. one, finding my husband, two, yeah. uh, studying a topic that becomes you know so hot, mm. three. Yeah. Um, many of the people I found mm. along the way. It's always you know, luck. Mm. Um, combined with some good sense in mm. realizing that you know this is yeah. this is something that I shouldn't let go. Yeah. So wonderful people that have helped me along mm. the way, yeah. uh, out of goodness of their heart, kindness mm. of strangers, yeah. uh, being open, almost naively open, mm -hmm. has been a strategy that has turned out to be extremely positive. Yeah. for me. Mm. And you know, yes, I was maybe hurt a few times. Maybe I kissed a couple of frogs along mm. the way. But you know, without those experiences, which were extremely painful at the time, mm -hmm. you know, I would have, wouldn't have found my prince. No. You know, so I, I think I was extremely lucky. And I just, I just, I just hope kind of that that luck stays with me mm -hmm. for a you know, for long enough to see my kids grown up and be good people. Yeah. And after that, let's see, you know. It's great final words. Wish you <laughs> wish you all, all, all best luck with uh, your new company. Thank you. Grateful.